Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest helps learning organizations design, develop, and measure effective learning. He's a columnist for Chief Learning Officer Magazine and currently serves as the CEO and Chief Learning Evangelist at Apply Synergies. Please welcome Bob Mosher to the program. Bob, thanks for joining us. <laughs> it's my honor, Gene. Thanks. I so appreciate the invite. Looking forward to the dialogue today. As am I, as am I. I'm really excited to get your perspective. Um, I know you're, you're such a well-respected um, uh, authority on, on learning and, and modern learning approaches. And certainly, I think this topic is very relevant, especially as it applies to frontline workers. One of the um, key questions we always like to ask our guests is, what is it that you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless or frontline workforce today? Well, I, I, it has to be the rapid rate of change. I mean, this is a, a world we live in with uh, the nature of COVID and, and other things that have gone on in the world. You know, the, the day of, of learning having shelf life is, is, I think, in the past, if it ever was true, frankly. But so their ability to remain current, their ability to stay ahead of, uh, of things that are coming at them, um, be able to be uh, decisive and, and make important decisions in the moment depending on the reality of, that faces them. I think that's a, a really difficult thing for the frontline worker today to, to deal with. You mentioned kind of COVID, but I think you alluded to the fact is, you know, it, it's, it's beyond just kind of a, a post-COVID world that this was probably something that was happening beforehand. Is that what you found even, you know, going back uh, yeah. a couple of years ago? <laughs> Yeah, well, I know it's it almost impossible to think past, you know, more than two years ago. But, I know, yeah. I know. But, you know, well, I, I, I it's funny. I, I heard a colleague of mine say that COVID was really an accelerator. It really wasn't as big of a change in the world as we think and uh, out, you know, outside of the obvious. Right. But but the reality, particularly in L&D, learning and development, it, it what I think it did was it, it showed us the elephant in the room in too many cases. And I think we've been comfortable you know, I've been in this business for 40 years. This is my 40th year, September 6th of this year, when I walked into a third grade classroom in Warsaw, New York uh, in 1982. And, you know, it, there, you know, my dad got a gold watch running a YMCA for 30 some odd years, right? And I don't know anyone that, that would say that's been around in, in the immediate future, right? So I, I think what it's done for us is, is show us things that we've got to be more attentive to in this space. Um, and change has been a constant for too long. And, and again, I think it's fallen on the shoulders of the frontline worker who's done their best, often in spite of our efforts, frankly, to, to keep up and, and perform effectively. Yeah. Um, I, I like how you mentioned 40 years, Bob, uh, and you don't look like you've been in the business for 40 years, but um, let's let's rewind a little bit. I'd love to get a little bit of context, you know, provide sure. some context to some of our uh, listeners who may not be familiar with your work. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about first, let's talk about uh, Apply Synergies mm -hmm. and, and and what you do and, and kind of why you do it. Sure. Well, you know, it, I, I came into the space as a frustrated learner. I was a bad one. Um, I was that kid in every every teacher's classroom that they they dreaded having because I just didn't get it. I I, I knew why I was being made to be there, but I, but it, the, the pieces didn't all fall together for me. So um, that th sort of thrust me in the space forty years ago. But since then, though, accelerate to today. Um, it's interesting. Apply synergies and our efforts kind of found their way in that very in the root of that. In that when I got into L&D in the adult learning space, um, I found a disconnect between what I felt uh, performers wanted and, and what L&D as a traditional um, department was providing. And so around 20 years ago, I met a dear friend, Alfred Remitz, who was on my board of advisors when I was a, a senior director at Microsoft. 
in their IT training space. And he, and he, I was at a crossroads. I was, I was really at a point where I didn't really know if I really was meant for this. And he showed me this remarkable thing called performance support, which we'll talk a bit about. And my colleague, um, Dr. Gafferson introduced me to the five moments of need, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. Um, and applied synergies was born. It was, it was, uh, it, it, it was, it was finally that comfortable space for me with an organization that meets learners and performers in the workflow, which my gosh, frontline workers are at the front of that by the definition of, of by what we call them, right? And so our our work has shifted from one of of teach or school up and then and then hope people do well, um, which which is an element of of training. I get that, but we live in the world that apply of meet them where they live in the in the in the tasks and the processes of performing work and design from their back. Uh, and that's pretty much what our methodology and our efforts and have been born on and, and what we do every day. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the five moments need, because I think it's it's obviously it's it's foundational for what you do. And, and I think, as you said, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk about it in the context of, of frontline workers. So uh, I'd love to, to get a synopsis of that. And then, sure. yeah, go ahead. Sure. Well, you know, I, I met Khan when I was, again, like a, a little, little, little story here. I met him at Microsoft when I had helped them introduce what we call blended learning. Um, it's been around in the space forever and it wasn't working. I also helped them launch e-learning and it, was, it, was, it wasn't working. And not, not that it was bad by any means, but it wasn't getting the lift we wanted. It wasn't really moving the dial on performance, which is why we do what we do. Right. And so um, I brought Khan in as a consultant, not my business partner or, or, or any visions of leaving Microsoft, frankly. And he took a look at our program and said, here's the problem. You only meet two of the five needs a learner has, and therefore they're not consuming. And they were, uh, when, when someone learns something for the first time or new, right? When, when I don't know brain surgery and someone's going to teach it to me, or I don't know how to, how to fix a, an airplane, right? That is a new moment for me. And then after, after I get some base understanding, I need more. So the first two needs, which we've covered agnosium for year, forever in L&D space, is new and more. The reality is, though, that there, there's a line in the sand there, though, and, they, and that is that the learner goes back and has to apply. The most prominent in-the-face moment of a frontline worker, and that is every day they come in to apply. Um, that's different than learn. That's different than new and more. That's, that's the from mastery to competency journey, right? And then things change. We talked about that a minute ago. A very prominent moment is change, and then uh, things go wrong. So the last is solved. So it's new more, uh, which are the more common ones we talk about in learning, and then apply, change, and solve. And the frontline worker lives every day in the moment of apply um, in doing what they do. So um, you, you kind of talked about, you, you kind of said, you know, we do the first two ad nauseum, or we did when we were Microsoft. Do you think that still holds true for most learning and development organizations that they're very heavily focused on those two first two things. Have we seen it beginning to evolve? Well, that's the good news is, yeah, the, the, the dial's moving. And this is one I will give COVID some credit for. Again, I, I remember I said it was accelerator, not so much a, a, a change. And, and I think one thing that got accelerated, I heard over and over again, as I talked to learning professionals across the world because of technologies like this, um, was that, look, we, um, we can't keep up. We're being, the, the conversations change from, I want five days of something to, uh, we got the following performance problem, or we have the problems following skill gap, or we're losing employees for the following reasons. It was, it was, you know, it was a performance pivot, not a content pivot. And so I do believe that's moved the dial. The problem is, my friend, L&D is a, an old institute. It's an old institution. It's been around for I don't even know how long, right, since the, since the dawn of time, right? And so, so to turn an ocean liner around like that and say, well, let's just invert the journey from one of new more and train up to one of apply back and train if we have to. I mean, I, I kind of oversimplified the statement, but that is a 180 pivot for an industry that's been around a long time. And so I, I, it's getting there and there's been accelerators that have, have brought more on board with it. But I, I still think to be honest that the industry lags in its adoption and not maliciously. I don't, I've never ever said it that way. I was there and you know what you know um, and you know what you're comfortable with. And also, frankly, you do what people ask you. So you add those three things up and, it, and I get why, why we've done what we've done. But, but the reality is in our journey um, and what we've seen, um, what the frontline worker wants and what we've taught them to ask for or those that manage them to ask for are two very different things. 
Well, the, the funny thing, I mean, change is hard is what you're talking about. Not, not just for the frontline workers, but for learning and development organizations. And yeah. the irony is we have to teach, we have to teach learning and development organizations, <laughs> you know, um, you know, how to do it differently. So talk, talk a little bit about then, how do you help as Apply Synergies? How do you help customers kind of make that pivot, if you will, toward kind of that performance focus? Yeah, well, it's interesting because it, it begins with a mindset shift, right? I mean, that's really where, where it fundamentally um, starts. My dad had an old expression that, you know, pig and lipstick still a pig. You know? <laughs> and and, and what, what, I, what I mean by that, and not obviously negatively, is the fact that, that we've had people who have, have done a technology pivot, let's say, or, an, or a delivery pivot and said, well, now I'm doing workflow learning. I'm doing five moment stuff. I'm, I'm focusing on apply. And it's like, well, no, the, the place that we really need to start changing is in our methodology, the way we design. Designing for apply is not the way you design for new and more. It's just not. It's a, it's a different context and orientation. So we help organizations understand that the five moments of need is a framework. Um, pretty easy one to, to, to get. The next stage is, okay, look, how do I get my arms around methodology to design a five moments of need output, a five moments of need deliverable, which again, pivots on apply and things that are immersive in the workflow. Uh, we, used to call, we used to call them in their simplest state a job aid, for instance. Um, and then training legs, because once we have the perspective of the work to be, be done um, and how much we can put there, how much we can embed there, then we have a different perspective on how much, if anything, we have to train. So, you know, when we, it's interesting, you, you, you know, talking about that designing for apply, mm -hmm. I mean, designing for all, all, all stages of the, of the five moments, I suppose, but are they, how interrelated are they? Meaning if Incredibly. we don't do a good job, if we don't yeah, do a yeah. good job of new and more, then apply is probably not going to work. Correct. And that's why I love the five moments, right? And, and, and it's interesting, Gene, because at one time when I first found, stumbled onto this, um, I realized that we were totally missing apply. We, we, we really weren't, we, we, were, we were lobbing things out there and sending people home with a good book or, you know, whatever. But, but that wasn't, that was, that was a new and more deliverable. We are saying, take, take back with you and, and, and good luck right? This, this is designing for apply back. And so it's very interesting that we have to start thinking about the relationship of those. You can't, you can't perform without knowing. And, and, and new and more is good at knowing. New and more is good at, 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 at demonstrating. New and more is good at, at um, modeling. These are so important in the learning journey. But in the end, I have to take all that cognitive load, um, even though I may have demonstrated a practice in a classroom or, or passed a test online, I've got to climb up a pole. I've got to climb under an airline. I've got to be a police officer, you know, in, 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 in a, at a concert. And I have to juxtapose those things in that moment of applying them in the context of doing. And so that the, the relationship of, of the, of our deliverables across those five moments are really, really important. Um, and, and the degree to which we blend them, I'll use that word again, um, in, in, a, in a related way, um, it works. Now, the thing we you pivot on is the workflow. And this, this, is a, this is an interesting conversation because my schooling in ID was in a methodology called ADDIE, A-D-D-I-E, been around forever, right? And, and basically, it's, it's for, the, for, the, for the sake of giving it some kind of classification, it's a topical-based instructional model, meaning I, I pivot on topics, chapters, lessons, units, formatting, printing, troubleshooting. Those are topical-based pivots. And by the way, for new and more, that's great. It, it can compartmentalizes them, right? The problem is when I go out in the real world, I don't approach life topically. I approach life in a workflow. If I'm a salesperson, I follow a sales process. If I'm a troubleshooter or call center person, I follow a call center thing. If I have to climb up poles, I follow troubleshooting techniques to, to install things, right? That's, that's, that's a workflow pivot for, my, for context, not a topical pivot. So, so fundamentally, the biggest thing we teach organizations is how do you analyze um, the workflow as an outline versus getting SMEs or subject matter experts in a room who pivot towards topical stuff and creating a more traditional outline of instruction. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. And, um, 
and, and we talk all the time when we talk about frontline workers and what we do at Skillful, we always think about the, the workflow in mind. And, yeah, you know, one of the things that, you know, go even going back to the apply and, and thinking about the workflow, right? Because, because it's from a frontline worker perspective, they're getting on the job, right? Yeah. They think about it as when I'm on the job, literally when I'm on the job, right? Um, right. And, and what do I do when, right? Or what, what do I do when, when this happens, right? Um, yeah. And, and really what kind of, I think what we've seen is there's just a tremendous amount of anxiety, right? That is probably unacknowledged, right? <laughs> that, you know, we go through the learning, right. we go through the training for these individuals, but they carry anxiety with them when they get on the job. So can you talk a little bit, how, how do you take that into account or how does, you know, kind of your thinking about design yeah. for apply, take yeah, that it, into account? Real insightful question, Gene. And, and, and that's why a, what we have to understand is there's an emotional hook to the moments of apply. Apply is a very emotional thing for folks, right? And, 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 and you know, it, it's one thing to sit safely in a classroom, which, by the way, we'll talk about in a moment, I think is spectacular because that's, that's what it does best. It takes me out of the workflow into a safe, controlled environment where critical or difficult or dangerous things might be best to learn, not happenstance or experience. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but here's the thing, the, what we don't do to learners is we don't separate those two. So what do we do in class? Everything. We do everything. We don't delineate critical from not, we, we might throw out words like important or don't forget, or, you know, season, seasoned police officers think this is, this is a, a critical thing to always keep top of mind. By the way, I'm not dismissing any of those things, but that's not, that's not a contextual differentiator. Right. So a lot of learners leave class super anxious because whether they say it out loud or not, what they know is what's going to meet them square in the face tomorrow on the front line is work. And they're going, how do I take all I just did, all that I was just taught? And when I face my first instance tomorrow, transfer that, right? Apply, they, they, they'll use the word apply that, right? So we need a way in our design to separate that out, understand that change solves probably the most stress, stressful um, moment of them all, right? Because that means something went wrong, right? So how do, I, how do I vet out from an instructional perspective what should be taught formally? Um, we use, we use a, a thing called critical skills, um, critical skills analysis, which means we, we feel the classroom is one of the more cherished um, High, most expensive, <laughs> um, time-consuming way of instruction. So if it's going to be, let's optimize it, right? So we, in our analysis, once we understand the workflow, say, look, what of the tasks we've identified are most critical if somebody fails, if somebody screws up, what's the outcome? And we use actually a one to seven rubric of seven being catastrophic, like death, dying, electrocution, mm -hmm. you know, you lose customers, you lose your job. One being, frankly, Trivial. I mean, it, it, you, you screw up, but outside of yourself, frankly, and maybe losing some time, nobody really notices, right? And so the pivot for instruction is the classroom is going to teach five through sevens, principally, right? The, the workflow and, and, and remove that, that, that overload and, and, and focus only on those things in the classroom. So there's time and space and, and failure and, and, and remediation. And we're going to push to the workflow um, four, ones through fours and let the learner learn them there knowing that failure isn't critical, right? And that changes the, the stress level and the cognitive load. You know, we've been taught cognitive load forever, right? To overwhelming someone, right? And, 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 and the irony is if you look at any classroom, if, if, if I may, or most any instruction, it violates all the principles of <laughs> cognitive load by the second lesson let alone the nine that still follow, right? So we have to have a way to attack that um, defensively and responsibly, but also in a way that the learner emerges in, in, in a mindset to your point that they can manage um, the load. Yeah, something you, you kind of um, said earlier, um, Bob, was this, you said, you know, how do I apply it? How do I apply? You, you talked about apply being very emotional. And I think it's very emotional because it's personal, right? You just said Big it's time. the, it's the eye, right? Being in the classroom environment, it's not very personal, is it? No. Right. And, you know, and you, you're out of the classroom and now you're alone, particularly when you're a frontline worker. So putting it back into context in frontline, Absolutely. right? They are in many cases, literally on an Island, right? They're by themselves. 
Um, are there techniques that you're seeing are, you know, you talk about the, the classroom environment or, you sure. know, high, high touch training or, or learning. Sure. Are there techniques? We see those, even those techniques. So even in say your levels of five to seven, you talked about, right. These are the critical ones. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing new techniques emerge to kind of say, we're still getting very high touch, high attentive sure. training, but maybe in a different in a different style or a different approach. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting. What's old is new again, right? Well, and labs are coming back in a big way, mm-hmm. right? And, and and I love that. I mean, everyone, think back to when you're in high school, Gene. I mean, everyone's favorite part of science was the lab. We wanted to <laughs> dissect the frog. We didn't yeah. want to we didn't want to sit through the overheads and the notes, right? Because the, the lab is where you were immersed in the science of whatever you were studying, right? And and so, but here's the problem: we can't we can't make classrooms lab like with all the amazing technologies that we have today, unless we have enough time for it. And, and this gets back to the distinction between what should be taught and when, and how much time should we do it there, allowing us to do these more lab-like, experiential, trial and error, case-based instruction, as opposed to lessons one through 25, right? And then when, when learners get in the workflow, I wanna be sure I'm also very clear there, we just don't leave them high and dry there. There are remarkable technologies in the world of what was called in 1991 by Gloria Geary, Electronic Performance Support Systems, <laughs> or EPSS, right? It, it amazes me, my friend, that, that, that what, 30 years later, almost 40 years, you know, 30 some odd years later, that acronym is not anywhere in our lexicon. I mean, people know what it means, but if I go into organizations all the time and I'm like, look, show me your ecosystem. Everyone loves that word. Show me your ecosystem. Show me your deliverables. If I find, if I find an EPSS, it's one in, oh my gosh, 50, right? How would you define an EPSS? Uh, well, it, 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 nowadays, you know, it, it tends to be digital, tends to be handheld or mobile, yeah. you know, t- these types of things, right? It's the, the, and Gloria made it very broad brush, right? To her back in 1991, an EPSS was a um, system that integrated different levels of support to um, optimize effective performance so a learner could perform with minimal help from others. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. She wrote that in 1991. Well, and, I mean, desktop computer wasn't around in 1991, right? But the world, the technologies we have now, my friend, can make her dream of what that meant so much more intuitive and easy. We're on smartphones every day. We don't have to teach the UI. I mean, it's really remarkable kind of stuff. But, but every time I go into organizations and ask them what their strategy is around this, how they're utilizing these tools, Frontline workers and otherwise, they're like, uh, we we have an LMS. <laughs> well, and, and I do find that somewhat remarkable as well, Bob. In, in my experience, right, is especially in, in today's age, right, um, you know, where everyone is carrying a mobile device, yep. um, you know, and that we're still kind of relying on on kind of a desktop based mentality in a, in a lot of ways it's, to it's, deliver it's, learning. It's ridiculous. I just ordered a sub from a local sub shop <laughs> before I got on this call. It took me two seconds. It took me two seconds to click through ordering that thing, right? You think I can get the same help on, on troubleshooting an a, 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 a electronic box outside, outside of a house or, or dealing with, a again, you know, crawling under the wing of an airplane and having to make sure an aileron you know, works the way it wants or these kinds of things? No, it, it just, it baffles me that in retail and banking and gaming and texting and all these other parts of our world, this is so immersive, yet it seems to still evade L&D. There is so much learning theory that shows removing the stimulus from response is really not effective instruction, right? The more you move the proximity of the doing to the knowing and the learning, the higher probability of retention, particularly if the learner can do it on their own through, through experiencing it themselves. N- nothing, nothing beats that. But what do we do? We, 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 move, we remove them a click or two or a screen or building away from that for hours and then wonder why they don't go back and, you know, perform optimally. Yeah. It, and I always, you know, you know, since we focus 100% on, on, on the frontline workforce, I mean, it's one of the things that 
you know, I always say it seems like, you know, frontline workers are kind of the redheaded stepchild, if you will, of, no of the of 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 our learners. Right. And and they don't even have the option in many cases. I and mean, we've had clients who, you know, they're they're delivering learning for their frontline workers on desktop. Right. But they don't have a desktop. So they're in order to get that training, they have to sit at their supervisor's desktop in the depot. Right. They've got to kind of rotate through it to get screen time, if you will, um, to kind of take that. To take oh, it's that really, I, I went into a large um, um, retail store. I don't even want to get the give the give the department. I don't want to I don't want to single out. But seasonal workers, very common in frontline workers jobs. Right. Seasonal workers coming in and stuff. And they they had to train them up in these departments that they worked in. So they had six stations six stations in the back, old dated PCs, desktops in the back. And then these new employees were put on this, these things for until they could check out and test out. And then they wanted on the floor. They got, they, by the way, they were given a handheld. It was more for pricing and inventory and scanning barcodes, right? And that kind of thing, or maybe looking up a, a price, that kind of deal when someone asked, not for learning. And then they, and then they literally fumbled over themselves and each other trying to be effective in in, in it, it just amazed me gene that somebody in that thing didn't raise their hand and go oh wait wait a second maybe sending them into the back room before we have them out on the floor and oh by the way that takes days so we're paying them for days of no work and by the way when they get out there they're bad anyway i mean they end up being they end up having to get watched by a mentor or a coach or something and that takes by the way someone who's good at selling away from i mean the the the, the dominoes that fall are staggering but darn it we still fall back on 10 e-learnings on five clicks to do X, you know? Yeah. I, and I think you just hit a, a huge point, which is, you know, particularly on the front line, there's just such a massive cost to the business, kind of this huge. hidden cost to the business, um, particularly at that supervisor level, that manager level, right? Because either they become the, the second tier trainers really. Right. And it's not their job. And, and there's yeah. inconsistency there across the board because they're not professional, you know, teachers, well, let's, right? Let's run at that one a little bit. Here's the problem with people is so when we when we teach our design, we do we do we have a pyramid of instruction we teach to to design immersive um, learning, and at the very bottom of that pyramid are people. Now, the reason they're at the bottom, by the way, and we and we, and we help we, we we teach people to instruct from the top down. And the reason why we put people at the bottom are three reasons. Number one, they're the most expensive resource any organization has, so let's be careful of using them wisely. Secondly, to your point, Gene, they're really hard to make good at coaching or instruction because they are not that. They are a subject matter expert, not an instructor. Third, keep a, keeping them current is really hard, right? And, and, and oh, by the way, they got to be around. There's a fourth thing, right? They got to be within reaching distance, right? So I can't tell you how many frontline, um, the success of frontline working pivots on this model that is expensive, hard to scale, really impossible to keep current um, and has to be an arm's length away um, or else I just fail my way out of it. I mean, talk about a really inefficient model um, that can be made way more so. Now, again, you, I'm, not, I'm not saying coaches aren't great, but in our instruction, they're the, they're, they're the last line of defense, not the first, because we want enabled frontline workers that are self-reliant Right, self-confident, have help, have self-efficacy. Your 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 anxiousness comment of earlier, um, but we have to put them in a world that lets them allows them to feel those things in an intentional way. Otherwise, they're going to fall back on, you know, ask for forgiveness, not help. Now, you you know, the retail example you gave, I think, is a great one um, because I think it also highlights one of the. Um, a very specific challenge in the front line, right? Which is this, this notion of turnover and onboarding, right? Which is constant, right? Which is constant. I and mean, it was constant before COVID or it was very high before COVID. And now it's, it's off the charts in, in many industries. Incredible. Um, and it's really interesting because when we're talking about onboarding, there's a lot of kind of new and more to teach, right? Oh um, so, you know, how is the emphasis a little bit differently or how can we, you know, maybe shrink that time down between the new more to apply for, say, a, a frontline organization. Hey, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, because I've, I've looked at a zillion onboarding programs, Gene. I, I, one, of, I, one of the funnier moments I ever had was I was, we were in the second day of a three-day onboarding program for a large airline. And one of the senior VPs was in the room 
watching this program. They hadn't taken it in years. It was a good, it was at the end, and, and, and it was entertaining. It, it built a good cohort, which, which onboarding programs can do. But in the end, it's to help people get uh, you know, into work quickly, right? And he leaned over and he goes, you know, after watching this, we don't have an onboarding program. We have an offboarding program. You know, and he's like, if I was any of these people in this room right now, I would be overwhelmed. I'd run. I'd run. I would, I would be. I'd be heading for the door. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what have I got? My, what have I got myself? What have I done to myself? And and again, I'm, I'm being awful careful here because I'm not the, the instructor up in front was caring and, and, and intentional, and so it's, it's none of that. You know, no one. But the reality is, onboarding. We we don't look at onboarding for what it is, and we and again we teach everything that the the there's so much they need to know before they no there's not. There really is not. Maybe 30 days, 40 days, 60 days, 90 days there is. But I can't tell you, your onboarding program shouldn't go beyond 15 to 30 days of an employee's employment because cognitively they can't remember it. Secondly, they don't care, right? And, and, and if they don't get through those first 15 to 30 days, they may not stay with you. The turnover is atrocious, right? But we teach out to the whole job. The whole role. Yeah, it's that idea of like uh, the onboarding checklist, right? And oh we feel gosh. like we've got to finish the entire checklist before somebody can... can yeah, and I'm not going to let you on the floor until you know everything a call center person might face. Well, are you serious? Really? You know, it, 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 how about helping a call center person get through the first day of their day or two or a week of their employment, right? And, and, and no, they won't know or can do it, can't do everything, but they never could know or do everything. Right. So we exacerbated by the way we dump on these poor folks. And then again, we, 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 we they leave beaten up, uh, low self-confidence, um, don't feel cared for, or trusted by the organization um, and, and really wondering what the heck they really do for the company until they get on the front line. And then your point that poor frontline manager, it all trickles down to them or Bill or Mary or Sue, who's the expert in the area um, who spends half their job teaching others. I think you mentioned earlier um, that you were in IT training at Microsoft. Is that yes. what you did at Microsoft? Uh, can you offer any perspective? How has that, how have you seen that change, that approach to IT or, you know, you know, obviously we see more and more technology, you know, that people have to use. Yep. You mentioned the retail example, right? They're given it, they're told to go in the back, you know, sit in front of a laptop and then they're given a handheld device to do their job, right? Um, you know, how has that kind of changed? Do we see, you know, do you see this kind of notion of, of IT training increasing in importance uh, among kind of the workforce? And are there different approaches to that um, yeah, than it's, other, it's funny. other types of training, like soft skills training, as an example? Yeah, every organization's in a digital transformation right now. That's, that is the buzzword of every company right now, not just in the L&D space. The, the CLO or CEO, CFO, CIO are going to tell you, we're in a digital transformation right now. Right. So, so what that implies is from the frontline worker to the CEO, to the C-suite, right? Their technology is, is an organization can't survive without it. Right. So technology, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know if I've seen technology training change as much as it could. And, but the, the, but the problem is, and, and the reason for this is that we get very myopic about technology um, when, when we're thrusting more and more on it, more and more on the learner to to do, you know, it, I was in an organization the other day that was um, working with sales folks and they touched 12 systems, 12 in their workflow, 12. Now each, it's funny when I said, okay, so how are you addressing these 12? They said, well, we have a class on this. We have a class on this. I was like, no, 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 they're, they're in there lies the problem. I just, in our analysis, that sales rep in a given day or days touches 12 systems there comes in their workflow and you go deep into silos of technology in teaching them. And then you wonder why when they get back to the plethora of the flow, they can't, right? They can't jump back and forth or between, right? So again, it, it's, we, we've got to break out of this, of this in, in, in unfortunately IT, it's, it gets very menu driven or other kinds of things. We've got to fall back and understanding the world we're putting people into to use them. Technology deployments don't fail because of implementation. They fail because of application and utilization, right? And, and, and so unfortunately, many IT folks are incented on driving towards um, implementation, right? 
turn the switch on and the system runs. That that's that's the starting line, not the end finish line. And so we've got to we've got to pivot this world too, so that we go beyond and, and into the workers' world more and help them in the workflow. So Bob, we got a um, not really off track. This has been a great discussion, but uh, <laughs> you know there was there was a comment earlier that I want to make sure I, I went back to. You kind of talked about forty years ago, you walked into a classroom, and now you're you know kind of talking about the five moments of need and, and apply. There's got to be a, there's got to be some good stuff in between in between there. Um, and and one of the things I always love to kind of hear about is what was your journey? How did you get here? Right? Obviously, you're you're clearly knowledgeable. You're clearly passionate about this what kind of turned that on for you and kind of made you say, this is what I really want to do. You know, it's funny when I was in Warsaw, New York, in my getting my undergraduate at SUNY Oswego, a state university in New York in Oswego in 1979, 78, I left high school and started that journey. When I went into my student teaching, my student teacher had a TRS 80 on her desk. I don't know if you guys have any idea what that is, but that was an old, old computer, old, old, old. And because I was the um, student teacher, my job was to come in a half an hour early and load the software because what we did, Dean, was we put a cassette tape into a drive. I hit play and as fast as a cassette player can turn, the software for the day was loaded into RAM and the kids used it all day. I remember sitting there watching that recorder turn. It's all good. That's all I did. I just came in early and sat there. But I remember thinking, this is gonna, this is, this is gonna change stuff in ways we can't even imagine at this point. Right. And so fast forward, you know, I, I, I was in education for five years, um, uh, loved it, couldn't feed my family on it, unfortunately, and got my master's in computer education and had dreams of being a computer coordinator, working at district level, that kind of stuff. Didn't really come to fruition. I was a little bit ahead of the game. And then this wonderful IT training company in Rochester, New York, took a chance on me um, and changed my life. You know, and, and so I found this sweet spot of enabling technology for workers um, through the use of technology. Um, and that's what got me and propelled me into Microsoft after that and now my company today. That's great. Um, and, and, you know, have you seen, I guess, you know, going back to that other question about, you know, I, I love how you talk about enabling technology to help people use technology. Um, are, are you seeing, you know, and I know you, you, you address so many different areas of learning for your folks, but given your time at Microsoft and, and some of your prior experience, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we see so many people using technology yet the way it's applied, I guess, in a work environment versus a personal environment seems to be diverging and you, you'd say it's converging, but then the tools we get you know, especially for the frontline workers seem so unfamiliar to them when they get on the job. Um, yep. I, and I don't know if, if that's something that you've noticed or, you know, kind of if you've seen companies kind of taking different approaches to try to solve that, that challenge. Well, again, it's, 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 it amazed me that um, someone didn't put the pieces together on the fact that the frontline worker in that retail store learned on a desktop, but then was handed technology to do their job. And no one said, wait, 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 why, why don't we put learning on that thing as well? Yep. Not just SKUs and barcodes and, and searches for part numbers, right? And, 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 and I think that's the, that's the secret sauce, Gene, is that because technology is so immersive, you know, if you're if you're a cash register at Wegmans, you know, a large grocery store, why don't we have learning on that register? That register can do remarkable, does remarkable things. But no, we put a little switch there that when they have a problem, they switch they and the light on the comes light. on above yep, the yep. thing, and then and then right, and then right. How how long in the old days they raise their hand or they flip they flip up a sign? Are we really? So our so our our journey in that has been one to go from holding up a card to flipping a thing so that something spins above my, I mean come on it's so so until there, there's there's such potential to to merge these worlds such that yes people have to use technology to do their jobs but why aren't we moving point you have point of sale why not have point of learning at the point of need when when they've got these technologies in front of them. 
you know, the, the term in the flow of work is used all the time, learning in the, in the flow of work. Is that something that you, you use when you, when you talk to customers? Is that the way you think about it as well? I mean, is, well, I guess the concept is performance support the same as learning in the flow of work? Are they That's synonymous great- or are they different? And I appreciate this question because my art, I'm a big vocabulary guy, right? I, I've got the gray hair. I've been around in this business long enough. What we notoriously do is we think of a word or a thing, and then we define it later. Or God forbid, we, we, we wrap methodology around it later. Micro learning. I, I have a whole laundry list of things that we came up with a cool name for, even e-learning, before we even knew what e-learning meant to do, right? A, a dear mentor of mine told me years ago, technology does not beget methodology. Methodology begets technology, right? And so, and, and, and so this, is, this is where I think it's, it's very interesting to see the road that we're on. Same with workflow learning. Workflow learning, I, I really want to be sure, again, I'll be biased here, but this is my definition because we blur it with things like just-in-time instruction and embedded, you know, it, only because those have already been, been, been stamped what they are and they're not workflow learning, in my opinion. Workflow learning is while I am working, not in the flow of work, something pops up or I can, you know, step away to that PC in the back room. That's not workflow learning. Yeah, I'm at work but I'm leaving my workflow Mm -hmm. to go to this thing, right? And then I come back, workflow learning is while in the context of working, while catching someone out, while fixing something on a pole, while climbing on an airplane, while stocking things in the back shelf. If I don't remember or can't apply something, I am then given a way of learning while doing. So that when I am done, yeah, I've learned something, but I also finish a task. I complete a form. I stock the shelf effectively. I fix the airplane. You know, this is this, and that's where we have not quite gone deep enough in our business. We still we stop short of that precipice and pull back and say, "Nah, stop. Take this. Okay, now I'll go back." No, no, I'm not saying we don't. You don't stop. You let them go into the moment with an immersive support EPSS. That whole world. And they get supported while doing. Are there? I love that phrase. You, your your mentor said to you. I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think you said that technology does not beget methodology. Or um, and, has. and and I, I love that. But you know, one question for you is: as we think about the five moments of need, as an example, yep. are there different methods? or technologies that work sure. better in different moments than others. I mean, it seems to be sure. when you're particularly when you're talking about like workflow learning as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 right. And so so um let me throw some things out. Adaptive learning is very big right now. I I, I love that where this is going. You know, AI, machine learning, these kinds of things are, are coming along rampantly, right? And what, what it means is that there are things I need to keep top of mind. You know, and, and so these tools in, in the adaptive learning side can adapt to my behavior and things that I do wrong or miss and prompt me with things that error correct or test or assess or right to keep this knowledge and this and this these things top of mind. So th- those are powerful things that are emerging. I, I kind of earlier bashed um, the sage on the side or the or the coach, but the reality is in troubleshooting. We often want a peer. We often want a mentor or a coach or, or, or best practices or lessons learned. How's that? So I think we undervalue the power of a lesson learned or, or, or a best practice because really that's all a coach says. It's a person saying it, but why don't we automate or digitize or, 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 or contextualize best practices, lessons learned so that I don't have to find or know where the coach is, but I get coaching while I am trying to get my way out of something or do, or, or do something better, right? These are ways that you, you, you adapt the, the deliverable and the content to the need being met. You know, when we, when we teach our methodology, we say, look, you're, it, it's, it's reuse, but it's the way in which it's, 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 it's presented. A best practice has the steps in it, like a job aid might, but a best practice is better contextualized in the moment of solve than any other, any other need. So, so it's, it's, it's a way of restructuring, redesigning, re, uh, presenting the same content 
but um, based on the on the way it needs to be consumed. Yeah, it makes it makes total sense. And and I mean, I, it's the way you're kind of describing it. It makes me think it's like, okay, what is the way? What's the way that learner need? You know, what's the information that they need, right? What's the context of of them needing it? And then let's think about the technology. What's the right yes. technology for that? So like yeah. in the case of like, okay, we're troubleshooting or there's a real, you know, it's one of these scenarios where it's a, it's an outlier, right? Yep. It's a, it's a fringe case, right? That's not covered anywhere in our training. We need them to get access to, you know, a peer or an expert. Well, maybe yep. we, maybe we do that through, you know, some sort of virtual assistant, right? If exactly. nobody's standing next to them, right? Or if we're trying to teach them, you know, how, how to do something in their workflow, in their application or whatever it is, you know, and maybe that should really be hands-on and immersive, right? And so what's the technology we can do that with? So I, I think that's, I think it's, um, I, I think it's, those are great insights. Um, one of the things before we, before we kind of wrap up here, um, Bob, I mean, given your experience working with um, so many clients on, on kind of, uh, on, on, on learning and, and kind of rethinking their approach, I'm going to ask you kind of what are some things you think that you've seen that, that your customers or other companies have done that have, have worked very well. And then what are some of the things that you've seen that have caused them, you know, some pain, right. Or have, have caused their kind of learning and, and development initiatives to fail. Well, um, as far as success goes, the, the, the probably the most common best practice, we're asked this a lot about getting started in this. And that is that, um, the thing I love about this discipline is that you don't, you run at a behavior, not a course, you know, and, and so you, you can begin to build these immersive or embedded technologies or tools around a, a, a skill gap, not leadership or sales training. Th those are big buckets. Those are courses, right? And so the, the organizations that are doing it successfully realize that it's done through an evolutionary, you know, bit by bit you know, build to help a specific need, a specific behavior first. And then ultimately that all comes together into a larger ecosystem or a larger dashboard or, you know, pe portal, people use all kinds of words for it, right? So, so think small and think problematic, think, think behavior in, in areas where um, people need to be schooled up. It, uh, one of the things we often ask managers is like, look, what keeps you up at night? If you could fix one thing about your workforce right now, what would you, what would you, what would you have them do? I didn't know, I didn't say, what would you teach them? What should they know, right? And, th and they'll have a plethora of things that they'd like to have us help them do better. So target those behaviors, target those, those performances and build an, in, a, an infrastructure and an ecosystem or tools that help them do that you know, point of need. The, 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 the place they go wrong is the, is the complete opposite. They bite off way more than they can chew. They, they try to take on too big of a problem or too, or too critical of an area. And then it kind of implodes under its own weight and they never get the traction or the uptake they need to get the momentum to go and, and build on to bigger and better things. So, and, and um, you know, you, you kept, you mentioned the word behavior several times, right? And I guess when, when we think about learning, we're trying to change people's behavior. Do you think yeah. about learning in the context of behavior change? And yeah. do you see behavior change techniques becoming more and more prevalent in, um, in instructional design? The pivot is a task. We call it a task. That's a behavior, right? The pivot. So when I sit down to do my initial analysis, I want to understand from, an ex from a subject matter expert, um, and someone who's also doing the job who may not be an SME just yet, I want to understand the tasks that are performed to do the job. And, and, and once I understand that, I can build a workflow and I can build an approach to helping people um, adopt those new tasks or those new behaviors. Too often we get on, so what should they know? Tell us all the things they should know. Knowing doesn't beget, knowing helps doing, but knowing, I, I was, I took, I got I always say I got an A in accounting and undergraduate, but I can't do your taxes, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, we have to know to do, but, but, but we've always gone in that order, right? What, what, what if we start from the doing back, you know, it, it's soft skills. You mentioned earlier, that, that's gotta be one of the more abused areas in instruction. Um, and, and, and so many of them pivot on, on competencies, for instance, we hear a lot of, well, my, my leadership program is competency-based. You know what the number one complaint of leaders is? I got the competency. I just know how to use it. I don't know where to apply it. I, I got listening skills. Terrific. You taught me listening skills. 
when do I use listening skills? All the time? Well, frankly, you don't. There's times to talk. There's times to lead, right? So we don't, we don't contextualize these things in the doing. Every good leader you know, Gene, if I said, go back and think of the best leader you ever knew, you're not going to say, well, they knew this, they knew this, they knew this. You're going to say, they did this, they did this, they did this, right? You're, we're judged by our performance. So we have to work from the performance back. When you hang um, um, competencies on, on what they have to do, the leader can transfer them and apply them. If without the context of the doing, they struggle. Bob, this is, um, I, I think that's a great kind of way to, to, to wrap up this conversation. It's <laughs> been rambling. a wonderful conversation. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a great synopsis. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to join us and, and share your thoughts. Um, just for folks listening, um, the best place for them to find you, I know, they could probably find you on, on LinkedIn, Bob Mosher, uh, yep. uh, B-M-O-S-H-E-R um, yep. on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, you're, you can find um, Apply Synergies at the your website, www.applysynergies, that's plural, synergies.com. Yep. Yep. Um, and then where can they learn more about, I'm sure there's a ton of thought leadership research you've done on five moments of need. What's yeah, the best yeah. Place so much so, out? good question. So much so that we even have a, a website dedicated to that. There's the number five moments of need, all one word.com. There are podcasts like this and, and blogs and research and all kinds of stuff to go deeper into the framework to understand that better. Any of those would be fine. That's great. And we'll throw a link down in the, uh, in the description uh, on our um on the Frontline Innovators LinkedIn page where people can can easily find that. Where are you going to be, Bob? I know you're uh, you're you you tend to 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 be traveling all over the place. You're going to be at any events coming up? Yeah, I'm going to be um, in uh, the probably the biggest one coming up is a learning uh, event in Orlando in November. Uh, be at, at that. Um, I think it's the sixth through the ninth or so on. I'll also be overseas um, in uh, in Dublin at the Learn of Eight conference uh, the month or so before that, um, and, and then in the Netherlands in that area the, the, uh, the week after. So lots of lots of good events coming up. Yeah, and I would be remiss if I didn't help uh, promote your podcast as well, um, which is Performance <laughs> Matters, uh, correct? Where, where can folks find uh, Performance Matters? Yeah, we're on almost we're on all the all the usual hosting sites, you know, iTunes and 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 all the and Android and other kinds of things. We, we host it off of Podbean, it's called, but yep. uh, we we sync out to a lot of the other ones as well. Performance Matters podcast with myself and and Dr. Con Gofferson. Awesome. Well, folks, definitely check that out. This has been a great conversation, Bob. I, again, really appreciate you joining us um, and uh, and sharing your your thoughts and and all the things that that not only have you learned, but obviously are, are doing as well. So thanks so much, my friend. Appreciate the opportunity to be in here. Hope it helps. Thanks. And for uh, those listening, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And a friendly reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the Skillful website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode.